to another episode of Winning with AI. Today, I'm delighted to welcome CEO of Serata, former CEO of Sage, Microfocus Accordiant, first CEO of the UK government, advisor to BlackRock, Isoma, Locum's Nest, uh, chair of the Science and Tech Honours Committee, Stephen Kelly. And that's just a few things. I don't think that absolutely covers everything. Um, and today we're going to be chatting around AI in 2024 trends. Uh, it's great to have you on, Stephen. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to be on, Josh, as well. And it's a fascinating topic uh, for today where we're kind of finding our way. So it's a good time to talk about it. Definitely. As we kick the air off, there's so much going on. Uh, do you want to let us know a little bit more about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so um, obviously I'm very lucky. I've uh, been in technology 40 years. And uh, in the context of today, I guess I, I see the potential for AI as explosive as what the internet has done as a platform for the world, really, uh, and open up the opportunities around mobility and cloud uh, and the things we sort of take for granted now. Uh, and sort of I've tracked my career through working with some of the greatest technology innovators. So I was like nine years at Oracle in the early days back in the 80s and 90s. And then very fortunate. I, I always feel a bit of a sense of imposter syndrome because, you know, when I look at what I've done, I sort of pinch myself. And, um, you know, been very fortunate in, in terms of what I've seen in terms of technology and the impact uh, with the companies I've led, like Sage and um, Microfocus and uh, a NASDAQ company called Cordian. Uh, and then really, really fascinated to see the impact, uh, again, of technology and uh, kind of leadership across the British civil service when I was the chief operating officer there. So I, I'm, you know, endlessly curious about um, how to get high performance out of businesses, companies, organizations, and also to harness the power of um, technology responsibly to really deliver outstanding results for those businesses and obviously the consumers and citizens that uh, uh, benefit from those. Yeah, definitely. I think some yeah fantastic points in there. And yeah, I was really excited to talk to you. Obviously, you talk about some of the software companies you've been on and there's been since the start, since Oracle, there's been such a transition of of SaaS and software, um, and it's developed so much. And I feel like, uh, back to your point, when you started with this shift in AI being the same as the internet, the impact it's going to have, I, I completely agree with that. And I think it's it's going to take time, like like the internet, to gradually get that adoption. And then you know, it's a bit like someone I spoke to, James Poulter, actually on a previous podcast, talked about the initial smartphone apps being a lot of them were quite gimmicky in the sense of uh, he talked about one which is called an eye pint where you had this little pint on your phone. What, what was the point of that? But people were understanding how to use them. And it was that evolution of that. And I feel like we're at the start of that, but I feel like in 2024, we're going to be starting to innovate. So you've obviously worked in a lot of uh, different areas across different technologies and, and with different sectors. What do you think in 2024 and beyond, because some of this is going to be longer than that, are going to be the key trends that impact businesses and people within the businesses as well, because ultimately they'll be the, the ones using the tools? Yeah, I think there's a number of technologies that become important that we can talk about. But uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, the headline, um, I, if I go back, what, to about 1995, 96, um, Oracle at the time, particularly through Larry Ellison, the founder, chief executive, 
was really trying to pioneer around the internet and, and actually at the time he was um, promoting devices like network computers uh, that didn't have kind of local disks and they'd be connected to the sky. Um, uh, and and we actually had loads of trials going on with things like video on demand uh, with really slow bandwidth. But we, we understood the potential of the internet, I think, way back then. Um, and I, I remember actually I did a, an interview, I think it was for the Sunday Times, it was on, on the business section uh, on the front page or something about, you know, Kelly predicts um, that we'll all shop differently online from our homes. Uh, and uh, with all these things, um, yeah. we were kind of right, but we were way too uh, delusional in a way that how quickly <laughs> would it happen? I, I think I said by 2005 or something, within 10 years. Um and you know there was there was sort of trials or we were t having discussions with big retailers we were having discussions with people like british telecom doing pilots on video demand uh and at the time just the technology the bandwidth just wasn't sufficient to take the content and obviously we've seen the revolution through almost infinite compute power almost infinite yeah. bandwidth um, there's still not enough bandwidth to carry the data around the world, but um, it's amazing how the innovation of brilliant brains and companies just drive the 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 relentless pace of changing lives for the better. So uh, I, I guess what that told me is um, very often in terms of some of these big technology predictions, uh, we're right, uh, but very often we're wrong because we just underestimate the time it will take uh in terms of change and i I do think it's almost the same with artificial intelligence you know i i talk to a lot of us uk boards and chief executives um out there and i think over the last 18 months many boards in corporate america and corporate europe and in asia have had presentations from the chief data officer or the chief technology officer yeah. um, around the potential for artificial intelligence in their business and machine learning. And I think just generally there's been a universal excitement and almost like a gold rush just from the boards to say, <laughs> yeah, do more, go faster. Do you need more budget and all that sort of stuff in, in an area where, you know, expense is always tight, budgets are always rationed. So, um, the challenge I think we have in this area, we'll come on to this maybe, is there's a lot of, again, we can't have technology looking for a business problem to solve. You've got to kind of marry up, as we'd say, the product market fit or what, what problem we're trying to solve uh, and what what is the thing that technologies can really transform relative to the business problems faced by consumers or citizens of, of these big businesses. So, uh, But I guess the takeaways are I do think it's a seminal moment. I do think we're in a period where, you know, we're in the basement of another phase of exponential innovation uh, for technology and humankind, uh, just similar to what the internet has done when we, you know, that was what, 1995, so all 28 years ago. Um, when we look at what happened in the last 28 years, the, the disruption created through cellular technology and mobile phones mm -hmm. and tablets, um, and obviously the impact of the cloud, it's transformed the way we all live as consumers and what way we parent our kids and the way we interact with each other. And a lot of that wouldn't have been predictable. Um, all those years ago, because we didn't kind of know, we, we'd use these phrases like, what's the use case? And and these use cases just evolve 
uh, because Massively. the in ingenuity of humans. And I think we're at the same stage, you know, if I'm honest with myself, in terms of artificial intelligence, we're right at the pretty early uh, embryonic stage. But I'm sure yeah. it, when we look back, say, 25 years' time, uh, it will be a, a transformative set of technologies that change the way we can we as humans can can live uh consume products have relationships with companies interact with each other uh and and actually kind of hopefully use technology for the for the improvement of of humankind uh and, but i think obviously and everybody talks about this is do it responsibly uh, and the final thing yeah. is i, I I did a talk back at the United Nations, I think it was about 2017, with a, a brilliant uh, sort of chief data officer at, at my, one of my companies, um, Sage, uh, Kriti Sharma. And we talked about the responsibility companies have in terms of the use, even then, of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and the evolution of chatbots and um and robots um and we've kind of came up with seven principles of responsibility for companies that they they should be codified in ultimately into legislation uh and obviously you know i'll be honest governments and regulators are still behind the curve in this area uh so Definitely. we're we're fumbling and finding our way between companies and corporates and governments and how technology will be used but i do think there's a huge sense of responsibility on everybody to make sure that the technology is used by the good guys rather than the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree more with that. And that's a topic we've touched upon a few times is about bias and also um, security. And, and there's that question of just because, you know, you could, it should, should yeah. you do it? Um, and especially around AI when we're forming that. I think one of the points you made in there is really interesting because there is that excitement as well. So a bit earlier, you talked about the boom of the internet and then you went on to the smartphones and tablets and use cases of that. And that got me really thinking, actually. Um, you know, we look at where it can it can get to in terms of AI in 2024, but actually we probably don't really know the use cases because we don't know how that's going to be shifted by other things that will come in and adapt AI, like the phone and um, mobile world change yeah. the way we actually engage with the internet so that probably wasn't something that you'd look at as a use case even until the secondary technology comes along so that could that'll be really interesting to see what happens with that uh, and like you say from a business point of view um, there'll be definitely improvements but from a day-to-day -day, just normal life point of view as well it'll be interesting to see how we engage with that um you touched upon a point which was purpose, and I think that's relevant for today as well because, the, I mean, the exponential growth of AI, I think it's going to happen. It is going to be revolutionary. Yeah. But today when businesses are looking at AI, one of the things we keep talking about and preaching is actually they should be looking about purpose, and I think that's the word you used. Why are they looking to get that AI? Um, and in terms of what you do at the moment with AI and data analytics and the CEO of your current business, is there any kind of key purposes that you see across that that people should be adopting? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously I wear a hat today uh, where, you know, we've sort of taken this podcast in the evening out of hours, which is is nice to relax and chat with you, Joss. But, um, yeah, my, my day job is with Serata, and we're helping some of the biggest corporations in the world, you know, companies like 
you know, the, the NetWest and the Tesco's and the Bank of America's and General Motors uh, really move massive data sets to fuel their ambitions around things like analytics and artificial intelligence. Uh, and I see some of these companies lead in the innovation kind of in their industries. So we work a lot with automotive companies, with um, financial services, telecoms, um, and also manufacturing, where there will be seismic impact of artificial intelligence. And I think, you know, we, we certainly see in a, a strong sense of responsibility and purpose uh, around how technology can be used. But there's no doubt the benefits are, are immense in terms of productivity, in terms of better personalization for consumers, uh, you know, and other things that are sort of, if you double click, uh, there was some Gartner data just as a, a, a sort of um, refreshing thought. They said 25% of um, Fortune 500 companies will be actively recruiting neurodivergent talent um, with conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, to build diversity and diverse teams and harness artificial intelligence. And obviously that will improve business performance of, of the companies significantly. And I think, you know, we have sort of touched on this, so many aspects of hope for saving the planet around climate change where things like artificial intelligence will play in. But with, with my sort of uh, hat in terms of Serata, no, it's, it's essentially we're seeing uh, an incredible appetite within corporate America and across the world uh, for businesses to really pioneer around artificial intelligence to establish the use case, what business problem they're solving for their customers, whether it's personalization, services and better, customer success, um, reducing cycle times for their customers, just being more efficient uh, in all their dealings with their consumers. And uh, effectively to do that, you need obviously large natural language models, but also huge data sets uh, and moving massive amounts of data. A lot of it is unstructured data um, yeah. to be to be kind of leveraged as a platform for artificial intelligence applications, uh, then that is a, a prime time. And I think, you know, again, not many companies are doing this at industrial scale today, mm -hmm. but I'm sure in three, five years time that will change. And and some of the some of the companies we're talking to literally uh talking, you know, if you're non-technology, I, I apologize for this. But they're talking about like this year, they'll move like 20 petabytes a day to next year, 40, 60, 100 petabytes of data. Uh, and just to go through my kind of, you know, what is it, physics, I learned about, you know, the biggest, like, I think it's a yotta, and then there's exabytes and then there's petabytes and you've got terabytes and gigabytes. And when yeah. I grew up, a megabyte was almost unimaginable. Even, yeah, when I first started in technology, kilobytes, you know, 28K, you know, in terms of memory boards and yeah. stuff like that was huge, huge. And now, you know, we're into petabytes of data, but but essentially uh, for the models to work more efficiently uh, and for the data to be used much more intelligently, you just need massive data sets and you need that in real time. You need, if there's changes in the data operationally, they need to be uh, exposed 
uh, to the, to the models, and and I think it's really exciting now uh, how we're seeing a number of uh, very open technologies and market leaders from the hyperscalers through to people like Snowflake and Databricks, mm-hmm. um, and some of the embryonic kind of AI companies really come into the space. So I think just as a general kind of throwaway comment at the end, uh, I think the, the sort of uh, the press has seen sort of um, ChatGPT as, as a euphemism for artificial intelligence, but that's just kind of just, um, I don't think it does justice to the opportunity that artificial intelligence and the whole way of thinking uh, and the capability of data scientists uh, to make some magic happen uh, yeah. and, and bring these bring these uh, core technologies to life to really change the world of consumers for the better and, and business for the better. And, and a lot of it will have massive impact in the way we live our lives as well uh, for well-being. Yeah, and I like to said for the better <laughs> quite a few times. There. I think that's the critical point. It's to make, we need to do it to make life better, business better in in the right way in terms of not using it to find a way new a new way to spam people or, or anything like that. But I just one point around the neurodiversity hire as well, that stat from Gartner, that's great as well, because I think it comes back to your early point about um, regulation, legislation. You look at ethics around AI as well. If you don't have a neurodiverse pool of individuals actually working on AI, how are you either going to make it diverse and actually equal and non-biased? I don't think it's possible. Um Interesting, you talk a lot about data. I mean, that, that size of data. I think I might have seen one of your, I don't know if it was one of your posts or from Sarah earlier about the 1995 data size to today. I think I read that today, actually, and I was like, God, that is mental. Oh, how much big, <laughs> bigger it is. I mean, petabytes, I can't even comprehend because, yeah, I feel like gigabytes was getting huge. And then it, I don't know how we'll get to that point. But that level of data, I think it's a good point to just expand a bit more on some unstructured and even some of the structured data in terms of what you might have in your CRM system. I guess that's one of the biggest potentials I I think can happen with AI is actually for the last probably 10 years, I feel like there's been this ongoing conversation about the value and pound sign to do with all that data that you've got and what you can do with it. But I feel like a lot of large enterprise businesses are like, okay, I've got all this data, I'll collect it, but what to actually do with it? And I feel like AI could unlock that. Do you? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think actually, just uh, anecdotally, I, I I do get blown away back to what you said. Is um, I, I believe the statistic is something like there's been more data created in the last three years uh, by humankind than the history of humankind put together in its totality. And obviously, you know, when you think about the pictures and the videos and all the sort of data being generated by sensors, it's it's not hard to imagine that, uh, but when you, when you drive around a kind of uh, a modern contemporary car that's uh, been on the roads in the last couple of years, I think uh, it's like something like every three minutes, it's actually sending data to the cloud, uh, equivalent to all the data on a full scale, you know, two hour DVD film uh, that you would have had. So that's happening like every three minutes. So it, it is. It is mind blown, um, but I think uh, it's very fair characterization, Josh, 
that uh, actually technology and I know cloud apps actually uh, I've followed cloud apps obviously for you know a dozen years and they've done some brilliant work in terms of pioneering around sort of sales and marketing and giving much more intelligence to chief revenue officers uh, but it is true that even now even if you have you know wall to wall you make it up Salesforce customer they mm-hmm. still don't tend to use all the data at the point where they need to and the chief revenue officers do still feel underserved and they struggle on predictability of the forecast and uh, the weight in the forecast the probability analysis and they've got so much more um, behavioral insights and behavioral psychology and and now you know the harnessing capability around artificial intelligence though the technology is certainly there that could be a lot more helpful to them really build high-performance sales organizations uh, and learning organizations of shared experiences, what's working and what is very suitable to some sets of customers that could be replicated across a broader sales force. So I I still think, you know, there's a way to go there. And again, Mm -hmm. we're seeing some of the companies um, sort of pioneering around sales and marketing. One of the things I actually I did in Serata is I've sort of collapsed um, the whole go-to-market function so obviously we're a business to business company, um, but yeah, I've yeah. effectively integrated sales with marketing. So actually, this is something which I believe maybe is a bit too radical for the mainstream in 2024. But ultimately, the dream for every chief executive is you almost turn your company upside down and put the customer at the heart of it. Uh, yeah. And obviously, in every organization, since organizations were sort of invented in the modern era, 100 odd years ago, we create all these functions where they have lines and they're drawn on organization charts and they become silos. And sometimes actually, they become the enemy within. So you'll you'll have customer success teams say, well, who launched this product in marketing and how come we didn't know about it and all that sort of stuff. But effectively, we're all there to serve the customer. And I think actually artificial intelligence and the power of it can bring that customer voice at the heart of the business and create a true customer journey end to end uh, from the first time you know you, you look at a company. Again, this has changed in the last 15 years. Uh, yeah. Most customers, certainly in the B2B area, actually in the consumer space as well, have probably done all their own research online. And when they actually contact the company, there's probably a 80%, 80% propensity that they want to buy the product because they've done all the reviews, they've probably spoken to reference customers, they've spoken to other people, they've checked the specification of the product meets their requirements, all the all the diligence you used to do for a sales cycle 20 years ago, they've actually kind of self-served themselves. Uh, and I think um, one thing I'd say through the potential of artificial intelligence, and you know, I know uh, sort of cloud apps have been looking at, at this area, turning the businesses up down uh, side down and put the customer at the heart of it and then having uh, technologies and organizations that really support the customer throughout their journey uh, and ultimately become a a customer for life uh, over many many years and hugely mutually profitable and beneficial both for the customer and the company um, and I think there's a, a real potential through this sort of technology to look at organizational design differently. So we've started doing that in Serata. So I've sort of collapsed um, the silos. Um, you know, I've 
talked about smashing the silos and really reorienting everybody towards, you know, customer obsession and finding the customer needs, whether it's marketing sales and integrated sales and marketing on a much more uh, coordinated, uh, customer-centric oriented journey where they start talking to them, have intelligent conversations, make sure that, that they get everything in terms of the value that we can provide throughout the whole life of their journey in terms of their business adventures and how we support them shoulder to shoulder and stand by them. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting that, especially breaking down the silos because it's, I was actually on a podcast myself for uh, an agency that I've worked with a lot, Ice Blue Sky. Um, and they, well, the discussion I had with them was around breaking down silos between sales and marketing. And actually, I ended up getting off on a bit of a tangent to the point where I said, actually, I was asking the question, do we need do we need sales marketing functions? And then I start to think about how we operate customer success as well. Do we just have a CRO, which looks after kind of a revenue teams? Yeah. But the heart of that, that you said, at Cloud Ops, we do. We, we look at the kind of the customer first and we, we actually end up usually partnering with them to solve Again, it comes back to one of the earlier points around actually looking at AI and what problems you need to solve and then how we can use AI to solve those problems rather than forcing a product on someone saying, here's a product, you know, it's got all these bells and whistles. And the reality is you only need two of them, but you're paying for for 10, <laughs> which a lot of the time does happen. And, you know, we still get products where we do that and buy them. And I just need this part of it, really. But, um, yeah, that breaking down of silos and not understanding what actually the customers are doing with the product, I think is, is a really important point because people get disconnected and it's easy, especially in a remote world as well. Uh, I think even when I think about when I used to work back in, in offices as well, you'd still be sat in different sections. So it's not like you're all sat together and on a big round table talking about things. Um, but a revenue function that effectively works to support customers maximizing their revenue yep. and then also in turn that'll ma- that will maximize you'll see the benefit from a business yourself by doing that and i think like you say ai can provide the transparency and the data whether that's through language models whether that's through tabular whichever way fits your objectives as an individual and as a as an organization then it, it can support that yeah, it kind of, it, it means, you know, I guess ultimately as a chief executive, you can architect the business and turn it up on its head and generally put the customer at the heart of the business and, and the customer need, even if you've got millions of consumers uh, and you can offer personalized services to them. And and it's the reality that kind of, um, you know, in 2024, customers buy from companies, the products that meet their requirements and that's probably a journey for throughout their life um it's not the case like 20 years ago companies pitch to customers and sell 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 i think you know customers are really intelligent they're really smart and therefore that does give you the opportunity to build more intelligent organizations more intelligent kind of architecture around technology and systems design uh to make sure that you build um technologies leveraging artificial intelligence that really do meet the use case for the customer uh, and their customer journey um, and allow them to expand uh, and obviously kind of 
do checkpoint stuff around net promoter scores and make sure that the level of value that the customer's deriving from your technology or your product or your service is kind of not only meeting their requirements but exceeding their requirements and i know yeah i know obviously i've followed cloud apps and i've seen them do some really great innovation with their customers particularly the technology sector actually are really helping them to get much better performance and productivity uh, as well as almost this empathetic element where the sales and marketing people are much more attuned to what the customer need is so you know i think that's good to see and uh i think you know it's the way to go and there'll be a lot of people following that that kind of wave in terms of how big sales and marketing organizations are structured and organized and, and incentivized as well yeah i couldn't agree more i think the customer-led approach being embedded with customers to help them solve their issues is the way for growth and success and on growth and success i guess what do you think because you're talking about the wider i guess but the customers first we talk about the wider teams breaking down barriers from a sales point of view how do you think companies are going to be able to maintain their edge because i'm thinking you know we talk about the increased uh research routes and digitization of the customer journey in terms of purchase journey um that's happening more and more. I know Gartner released some stats on it not long ago, and it's shot yeah. up now to to be over seventy five percent. If that's getting more and more online, how how can companies differentiate and be more personalised, and how can they actually talk to customers? Because a lot of the time, it used to be a one on one conversation, so you'd understand that product. How do you stay competitive if if it's all online? Yeah, I think um, actually I was really lucky back in the late 90s did a kind of um, tour, a lecture tour with a guy called Don Peppers, who was a, a kind of luminary um, uh, in Peppers and Rogers. And he kind of pioneered everything around one-to-one marketing. And um, and I think at the time, I'll be honest, the technology didn't exist. Now the technology exists. So you can actually, for millions of consumers, have much more personalized offerings and much more intelligent offerings. And this is, you know, the, the nirvana for every bank, every insurance company. Uh, and I think when you speak to their chief executive officers, that's mm-hmm. all acknowledged they've got a way to go. And it's been it's been historically easier for startup businesses. And that's why, you know, in the UK, you've had companies like Metro Bank, Revolut, Stalin, all these new entrants come to market and yeah. win market share because they haven't got the legacy issues. But I think, um, you know, again, uh, around things like, AI technologies and tools actually probably for the first time will start explaining kind of legacy business applications and the processes embedded in those applications and and allow you to modernize those um, to drive more personalization. And actually, I think there's, again, from, I think it's Gardner or Forrester, one of those guys, there's some data said the modernization costs will reduce by like 70, 80% within five years. So, so I think there's a big opportunity. Um, No, no, I I don't think it's all kind of a land of milk and honey because companies Mm -hmm. will have to spend more on on other areas like battling misinformation uh, and the data there is there's going to be about 30 billion dollars spent on sort of 
really kind of fighting uh, against the, the bad guys and misinformation and uh, and also you'll find all the stuff ramping cybersecurity budgets um, cannibalizing marketing so so there will be some things where companies need to be agile but I think the the platform back to your question is that they can generally put customers uh, at the heart of their business and you know if they had focus groups 20 years ago they can do all that through digital technologies and it's immediate it's agile it's there and it's fast and I think for the first time it really allows companies to do what the chief executive would love to is have an agile business through all the functions, not just the engineering function, but all the functions be agile, do kind of have a learning, continuous learning organization around the customer experience and the customer journey um, and have that sort of culture, which US companies do so well around sort of fail fast, learn quickly, improve the process, embed the process, uh, it basically take that corporate knowledge and make it Im immersed in the sort of systems and technologies through muscle memory. Uh, and again, you know, obviously artificial intelligence has the capability to learn around that, which means applications would just be much smarter um, and uh, allow businesses to really uh, drive huge value for their customers. So I do think it's a pretty exciting time from that point of view. And I think the, the, capability, the building blocks are in place for much more intelligent personalization. Uh, but most organizations, you know, are facing big transformations together. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Intelligent personalization, not just a token, which is hello name. <laughs> That's yeah. not personalization. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think there's some some brilliant points. And I think the the whole transparency across an organization, which we know, especially when you get to an enterprise level, can become more siloed and things like that. So I think a full transparency and enablement through AI is actually a really strong point, which we probably haven't covered as much as well. So it's got me thinking quite a bit. Yeah, um, there's all the stuff. There's, honestly, this is just such a, a great topic. You could talk about democratization. You could talk about all, all the stuff that's happening now around that. I think, what is it? Um, Two billion people voting in the world general elections in, what is it, yeah, 55 no. countries or something staggering. And we've seen a massive shift to popularism. And a lot of that's kind of been leveraging digital marketing, social media. So, you know, there's a whole... There's just this is a Pandora's box of massive um, business um, kind of morality topics that are fascinating. And honestly, I don't think anybody anybody has the keys to the castle and knows exactly, you know, what's going to happen in terms of how the movie will play out. But the, again, there's huge potential, and uh, you know, I, I've said publicly on to governments and stuff like that. I would love to see them engage again intelligently with smart people who have got experience from the technology industry to make sure we get the kind of appropriate level of sort of regulation uh, to make sure all this incredible technology is used for the, the betterment of humankind rather than sort of falls into the hands of the bad guys. It will do. But, you know, again, we need to be smart and uh, make sure that we're, we're two or three steps ahead of them. Definitely. I think regulation and legislation is going to be critical for yeah. the moral success of AI and also not in a sense to, to hinder or stifle any innovation around it, but instead to make sure that we are taking steps carefully because there's so much potential with it from an yeah. ethical point of view. I mean, you look at the Cambridge Analytica scandal, yeah. which happened, um, that was only with targeted marketing to a degree. Um, yeah. 
what could happen with AI? <laughs> so you look at that sort of thing and think, okay, well, that can go a step further. So I think governments definitely need to step up and put regulation around it so we can all benefit from it because the, the benefits are huge. Looking at, you know, you talked about uh, climate change, you've then got health, so looking in the health industry, uh, identifying oh, yeah. things like cancer, security, there's so much opportunity with it to do yeah. good. We just need to make yeah. sure that's the driver and it doesn't get stopped or frozen by any ethical guidelines. Um, yeah, I think actually on health, it's a very clear set of use cases to dramatically transform you know, things like cancer treatment, as you say, with massive data sets, huge language models. I think some of the other things that are you know fascinating, uh, I was talking to some folks around actually sort of in the behavioral psychology with teenagers uh, area and how they're seeing a, a huge shift in the personality shaping of teenagers as they grow up. Because obviously, you know, we're all subject to, through kind of this sort of technology um, yeah. to algorithms. And it's whether, you know, it's a learned personality you're developing through algorithms or it's your innate personality and the impact on teenagers that are, you know, pretty imp well, really important, but a very vulnerable time in their lives as well so um it's that's you know i'm sure we all find that a little bit scary because we we don't know and uh we don't know particularly when it becomes with vulnerable individuals uh the impact of you know how the technology is playing out but it's certainly shaping and it's shaping a very different world than was even imaginable 30 years ago definitely and i think with that will come a different view on it to what to what we have because yeah. I was thinking the other day I've, 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 you know I know some well I've got young children and I was kind of thinking I wonder what how they'll react and adapt to certain parts of it because they're going to have a completely different mindset and expectations of what can happen so when you yeah. get through to that point it's huge potential um, there's so much more to talk about on this and I think we could keep going and you know maybe get another podcast in the future because things are going to change quickly and I'd love your opinion and thoughts on it are there any kind of key points um i know we had a, a lot of different questions i think we've covered a lot that we had in there uh, is there anything you want to just say on on what you think might happen with ai any trends or any just any points we might have missed at all yeah i think um you know honestly you're right josh we could talk forever but i really appreciate your your audience listening in and i think um you know the the takeaway is this is a seismic change I think it's a seminal moment. Um, I think we'll look back on this early 2020s period and say that was when the building blocks around the world changed through artificial intelligence, just like we did in the late 90s now around the internet. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we need uh, everybody sort of embracing it. And I know sort of when I talk to our customers, you know, the level of appetite and enthusiasm is unquenched, but it's it's really making sure that the responsibility uh, bond is applied. But also we, we actually search for, you know, what problem we're trying to solve and what's the use case. And and, and there's, there's going to be a lot of companies who fail because, you know, in reality, they've, they've got great technology looking for a problem, but we got to find what problem we're trying to solve and what that product market fit is, because uh, that's always where the, the sort of secret sauce happens. Uh, but it's early days and exciting times. And I think, um, you know, I love what you're doing in terms of these discussions and debates and the speakers I've seen you get on uh, the podcast. I think you're inspirational individuals and it's, it's great to be part of this. 
Yeah, no, thank you very much. And thanks so much for coming on. Um, it, It's great to talk about all the, the different topics. I think, uh, you know, we could, we could talk, I think, for hours and hours on it. It's, it is such a diverse topic. Uh, from a business point of view, I can't agree more. I think that we need to not be creating solutions because we've got technology, but instead solving problems. And I do, I agree. I think that's where businesses thrive. And yeah. I look at competitive edges, which was one thing I did raise is one of, the, one of the questions I was going to look at. And I think that is going to be companies who are actually solving a problem for someone who's sat there. Yep, um, I agree. Great to talk today. Great to talk. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, obviously, we'll share it. And I'm really looking forward to, hopefully, we'll chat again in the future. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. It was great to have you on, Stephen. Josh, great to be on. And for everybody out there, kind of stay tuned to Josh's future podcast as well, because I've listened to a couple and, and I think he, he gets great guests on and the conversation is incredibly topical and engaging. So thanks, Josh. Nice to be on. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Winning With AI. We hope to catch you every single Thursday on your favorite podcast channels on YouTube and the cloudapps.com slash podcast website. Now, please like, follow, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.